In the book of Acts, Peter gave a good summary of John the Baptist's ministry. Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send you the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Repent, turn to the Lord so that times of refreshing may come. When you think of the words that people use to describe the followers of Jesus, refreshing is probably not one that you hear very often. You hear words like intolerant, uninformed, narrow-minded, rigid, restrictive. You don't really hear the word refreshing because the rumor is that the Bible desaturates all the vivid colors of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it leaves us with a monotonous, monochrome existence. They've even made movies about that. In a sarcastic poem, Charles Swinburne lamented, Thou hast conquered, O pale Galilean, the world has grown stale or gray from thy breath. It's ironic because Swinburne was a pasty little fellow, and Galileans would be bronzed by the Middle Eastern sun. So Swinburne must have been colorblind. Nevertheless, he felt that paganism was life-affirming and vigorous, but that Victorian Christianity really sucked the life out of it. And really, he may have had a point, because even today there are some inferior versions of Christianity out there. There's Republican Christianity, televangelist Christianity. There's apocalyptic conspiracy theory Christianity. Second Amendment, in guns we trust Christianity. Politically correct Christianity. And of course, light Christianity, where you only have to obey maybe six of the Ten Commandments, and it's your choice. And you go to church just three times a year during the religious holidays, like Christmas, Easter, and Shark Week. So there are dimensions of Christianity that are not that inspiring or refreshing. But paganism can't boast because the brand of happiness that the world offers is so overrated. It's high on sugar, low on nutrition, and ultimately it's unhygienic and unhealthy with serious side effects. And it's certainly not sustainable. Repeat after me. I can't get no satisfaction. So why not try something that is refreshing? Repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repentance is an entry-level experience that leads to something exceeding abundantly more, more than we could ever imagine because it leads to Jesus beholding him in all his majesty and glory and amazing grace. This is the ultimate experience in life. And that's what John the Baptist's ministry was all about, introducing people to Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Initially, John spent a lot of time 
in the desert solitudes of Judea. He was a solitary man practicing the presence of God. But that changed dramatically because God sent him to preach to Israel. And the response was overwhelming. His message went viral. It was like a gold rush. It turned into one of the greatest revivals in Israel's history. After 400 years of inertia, there was finally some momentum. And of course, this made John a national celebrity. And rumors started swirling around him like dust devils. Could he be the one who would make Israel great again? He was definitely the prophet that God had promised through Malachi. John had to be Elijah 2.0. In fact, maybe he's more than that. What if he's the Messiah? In Luke chapter 3, verse 15, it says, The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. So John is the center of attention. He's the most dynamic spiritual force in Israel. And to use temp contemporary terminology, John the Baptist had more followers on Twitter than anyone else in the nation. Everyone wanted his autograph. How about a selfie? And now he even had a dedicated band of disciples who were eager to learn more about God. He had Messiah written all over him. Can we see some ID? Are you the Christ? Well, it must have been tempting. You have them eating out of your hand. They'll do anything you ask. All you have to do is keep them guessing. Let them draw their own conclusions. But John responded with a very clear answer in verse 16. John answered, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The one coming after me is far greater than I am. I'm not worthy even to untie his sandals. Wow, that's, that's humility. Because that was the responsibility of the new guy, the lowest slave in the household food chain. They got all the dirty jobs like washing feet that were caked with dirt and cattle dung. I am not worthy to even untie the thongs of his sandals. So to his credit, John stayed in his lane. And it wasn't easy. In John chapter 3, verse 25, it says, An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. When you've been on top, it's not easy stepping out of the way to make room for someone more popular and more important. John, the John has baptized his thousands. Jesus has baptized tens of thousands. So for John, the crowds were dwindling. He was no longer occupying the spotlight. 
So it's possible that the fire hazard in his heart could have been extreme. Sparks of envy could easily ignite self-pity and resentment. But it was this moment that gives us the true measure of his greatness. To this, John replied, verse 27, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. That's the attitude that makes us fire resistant. John said, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You see, envy is never content because envy invites us to compare and compete. My church is bigger than your church. That's actually a very Darwinian statement. You see, envy is an evolutionary necessity, and so is competition. Because in evolution, it's all about us. What's best for me? In evolution, there's really no possibility for love your neighbor as yourself. That doesn't make sense. Forgive one another. Love your enemies. In evolution, it's every man for himself because it's survival of the fittest. That's our natural instinct. But there is a better way, which is supernatural. And we see that in John's attitude. A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. God loves us all the same, but he doesn't give us the same opportunities or the same responsibilities. That's why we have different spiritual gifts. John was grateful for the role that God gave him. Although he wasn't eligible for the Oscar for Best Actor, he was an early favorite for Best Supporting Actor. That was his role. That was his position. That's what God had given him. Now, many of us, we're just extras, and yet we still play a vital role because, as 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27 and following tell us, but God shows the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God shows the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He shows the lowly things of the world and the despised things so that no one would boast before him. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's what God assigned to us. And within that role, we can be content and we can boast in the Lord. You know, it's very clear in, this, in these verses that God is not a Darwinian because evolution's natural selection chooses the strong and the wise and the fittest. But God chose the weak and the foolish. Wow, that is radical. That's why the... Uh, Evolutionary doctrine can produce societies like the Roman Empire, filled with violence and competition, with victors and the vanquished. That's how evolution works. But in the kingdom of God, it's radically different because there it's all about self-denial, sacrifice, loving your enemies, considering others better than yourself. Those are definitely not survival skills. 
The doctrine of evolution taken to its logical conclusion produces the Third Reich, the Khmer Rouge, and ISIS. It encourages white supremacists and ethnic cleansing. These are all manifestations of survival of the fittest. Fortunately, the doctrines of evolution face contradiction from many directions, like no child left behind, Black Lives Matter, frontline workers in this pandemic. It's contradicted by the Declaration of Independence, which states all men are created equal. But it's the kingdom of God that gives the greatest contradiction to the evolutionary doctrines. Jesus summed that up in six words when he said, the meek shall inherit the earth. Darwin said it's survival of the fittest. They can't both be right. God chose the weak to shame the strong. He chose the foolish to shame the wise. The important thing is that although most of us have a smaller role to play, we still get the same percentage of Jesus Christ. We get the same portion of glory. We don't get a smaller ration. We have as much of Jesus as Billy Graham had or C.S. Lewis had, as much of Jesus as K. Arthur or Priscilla Shire has. It's all about Jesus. If life is about us, then we're going to get envious and we're going to feel sorry for ourselves if for no other reason than at least because of that Rick Steves. But if life is about Jesus, then we don't get envious. We become grateful and we feel so unworthy. Why me, Lord? What have I ever done to deserve even one of the blessings I've known? What did I ever do that was worth loving you and the kindness you've shown? In the words of Chris Christopherson, John the Baptist knew his role. Verse 28, you yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. The big event was the wedding. So save the date. Jesus was the bridegroom. Israel was his beloved bride. And in that scenario, John the Baptist was the best man. So his responsibility, his mission, was to make sure that the bride was ready and then to introduce her to the groom and then to get out of the way. It's kind of like the uh, Zamboni driver who gets the ice ready and then disappears so a bunch of millionaires can play with sticks. John the Baptist said, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it's now complete. I've never seen a wedding where the, there was a competitive spirit between the groom and the best man. It should have been me. The best man does not try to be the center of attention. 
John the Baptist wasn't thinking, so if the groom doesn't show up, then maybe I can take his place. It's not like Seinfeld's observations about the domestiques, the, the men in the bridal party. Why are they all dressed the same? Well, it's because if the groom doesn't show up, you all take one step to the right and you keep going. The show must go on. That's why the vows don't use personal names. It's do you take this man? So what's the big deal? You got the best man. Well, that's obviously not how it works because the best man knows his place. He's not an understudy. He's not waiting for a promotion. If the bridegroom doesn't show up, the wedding can't happen because there's no substitute. So when the bridegroom arrives, it's a celebration. When he hears the bridegroom, he is full of joy. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. See, I'm sure that the phenomenal results of his ministry made John very happy. But he was even happier when he saw that Jesus was becoming far more successful. I've been at weddings where it's hard to tell who's happier because the best man is enjoying the day as much as the groom. Because one of the greatest experiences in life is watching the people you love overwhelmed with joy. It's highly contagious. We can truly rejoice with those who rejoice. And John the Baptist's joy was complete in seeing the acceptance that Jesus was receiving. Unfortunately, in the spiritual realm, it's a real temptation to upstage the bridegroom, to draw attention to ourselves instead. That explains the cults. The Reverend Jim Jones was renowned for his interracial inner city ministry in San Francisco. But somewhere in the ceremony, he camouflaged himself as the groom. And before it was over, the wedding turned into a mass funeral. We have a last-minute scratch in the lineup. The part of the Messiah will now be played by Joseph Smith, David Koresh, Benny Hinn. It's tempting. Even Donald Trump has reminded reporters that he owns hotels around the world. And Jesus, well, he couldn't even get a room at a small town inn. So I guess he has Jesus trumped. In our society, the spotlight is on the rich and the shameless because that's how evolution works. But in the kingdom, it's exactly the opposite. So here's the bottom line, verse 30. John says, he must become greater. I must become less. Well, that's obviously not Darwinian doctrine. And that's how John disproved the theory of evolution. He must become greater. I must become less. And that's what the kingdom is all about. It's the opposite of evolution. So let me remind you of the sequence of spiritual maturity. First you believe, then you behave, and then you behold. 
So don't take your eyes off him, because the longer you behold, the more of his greatness you will see. Don't look away, because you'll miss something. I always marvel at the people with short attention spans who go to the zoo, and they kind of walk up to an enclosure and say, oh, oh yeah, there's a lion. I guess they probably only have one. Looks like he's ready to fall asleep. Well, let's see what else they got. It's like they have a list. How many animals can we see today? And 30 seconds is kind of their personal best. And then they walk away while, while the kids say, I want to go to the playground. But after they leave, the other male appears. And they start wrestling and growling. And then the two females appear, and they're chewing on each other's tails. It's a tail of two kitties. All that happened after they left. So, how was the zoo? Eh, we saw a lion. Man, I tell you, I can stand there for two hours photographing the big cats when they're active. Now, if creation is that fascinating, how much more mesmerizing is the Creator Himself? Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lion of the tribe of Judah. This is must-see spirituality. As the hymn writer put it, we become lost in wonder, love, and praise. That certainly will refresh your faith. That's not rigid or restrictive. Lost in wonder, love, and praise. And I think the key word there is wonder. We see so many interesting things, but every once in a while, there's more, something more that gives us a sense of wonder. And that is the most refreshing experience in life. It's like a wind that blows away the cobwebs of cynicism. Behold the Lamb of God. Because the more you look, the more you see. The only problem is if something gets in the way or if someone gets in the way. Hey, buddy, you're blocking the view. Who is that? That's weird. He looks just like me. After the bridegroom appeared, John the Baptist had one responsibility left. He had to get out of the way. He must increase. He must become greater. I must decrease. I must become less. We also have to get out of the way. Me and my opinions and my agenda and my hang-ups and my frustrations, those things are distractions. I have to get all of that out of the way. He must increase. I must decrease. And not much of that is happening right now. Because you hear a lot of people talking about Christians. Very few are talking about Christ. Dr. Fauci hasn't been talking about him. The Surgeon General has never mentioned his name. I think we must have had, I don't know, hundreds, even thousands of news conferences but no one's ever said, we need to repent. We need to turn to Jesus. He is the answer. He is our only hope. Christ's stature in our society is low visibility. In fact, 
People get offended if you even mention his name. Don't be a fanatic. Don't get too excited. Use your indoor voice. Well, John the Baptist didn't have a t-shirt that said, keep calm and chive on. He was a voice crying in the wilderness. He could be heard for miles. He got very excited about the Messiah. And now that the Christ was here, his enthusiasm spiked, and he was overwhelmed with wonder. He must increase more love, more power, more of you in my life. Jesus, more of Jesus, all for Jesus, all I am and have and ever hope to be. But how does Jesus increase? Does that happen through protests and petitions or bumper stickers? Well, Jesus will not increase until we get out of the way. If he must increase, then I must decrease because it's counterbalanced. It occurs simultaneously. This is exactly what happened to Saul of Tarsus. All of his colleagues were impressed by his credentials. He talks about that in Philippians 3, uh, verse 4 to 6. He says he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness faultless. He was the undisputed, undefeated champion of religious righteousness. The spotlight was on Saul of Tarsus. If you want to see a Pharisee at his best, you look at Saul. And with each accomplishment, his reputation increased until he met Jesus. And in verse 7 he says, But was whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. It's all rubbish. Paul decreased, downsized, dispersed all his assets. He threw all of his medals and trophies and awards into the black bin, filled it up. It's rubbish so that Christ's value would increase in his life. And that explains what he said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So when you looked at Paul, you didn't see that much of him. You saw more of Christ and less of Paul. You know, for the New Testament Christians, decreasing often meant persecution. And we'll talk more about that next week. He must increase. He must become greater. I must become less. That's what John the Baptist was committed to. And we see that dramatically portrayed in John chapter 1. In that chapter, we have two people whose names are mentioned the most, Jesus and John the Baptist. In verses 15 to 28, the focus is on John. He is mentioned five times. In the next section, verses 29 to 34, 
we see John and Jesus. John is mentioned twice as much as Jesus. In the next section, verses 35 to 42, we see Jesus and John. Jesus is mentioned seven times more than John. And in the last section, verses 43 to 51, we only see Jesus. John isn't mentioned at all because John got out of the way. He humbled himself and decreased. And that is what kept this new beginning from becoming a dead end because John was willing to understand what his role ultimately was. Because a new beginning is all about Jesus increasing. And if there's to be a new beginning in the months ahead, then that needs to happen, first of all, in our life. So during this pandemic, has your love for him increased or have disappointments multiplied? Has obedience increased or have your excuses exceeded abundantly? Someone said that the key to witnessing is being more concerned with what people think about Jesus than what people think about us. That's the key to life. Doing whatever is necessary so that people can see Jesus for who he really is. And for that to happen, let's get out of the way. And let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to behold Jesus in all his glory, in all his greatness. And the more we look, the more we see. And the only problem sometimes is that there are distractions. There's things that get in the way. Sometimes it's our opinions or our frustrations or our hang-ups. It's our agenda, our ungodly values. Lord, show us what is distracting people from seeing Jesus in our lives so that we can say with Paul, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Help us to display a visual representation of the image of Christ in our lives. For we pray this in his name. Amen.